We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, for those of you that bake, uh, how many of you use physical cookbooks any longer? Some of you do. Okay. Okay. Some of you do. Uh, a lot of us, a lot of us also use, right, look it up on the internet, your phone's sitting there with flour and honey and sticky stuff all over it, right? And you're trying to kind of swipe the screen with your elbow and those kind of things, right? But some of you still use physical cookbooks. Why do you still use them? What was that? There you go. Yeah, a favorite recipe. And I, I might even go a step further. I bet you some of your cookbooks may have even been handed down to you from a parent, an aunt, grandparent, right? Um, and and I, think, I think that's somewhat still common today, that these cookbooks get, they almost become a part of us and a connection to generations past, to the food they ate, to the food we ate as a child, and in maybe a strange way, and you probably don't think about this maybe when you're cooking or using that cookbook, but as you are making that recipe, while in the act of that, there is a tangible way that you are being connected, right, to people you love and to memories that you cherish. Cookbooks are able to do that, right? I think they do that in families. So I went and scoured. I already told the kids, you know, I don't, I don't really bake. I don't really cook, right? Uh, so, but my wife does. And so I went into her cupboard and I grabbed some of her cookbooks. And these are a little bit unique. Um, these are not family cookbooks, but these are church cookbooks. Yeah, okay. So if you grew up in the church, there was a day back in the day where people loved potlucks so much and they loved food so much that they created their own cookbooks. So this one is entitled Oh, Taste and See. It's literally a cookbook from a, uh, a Lutheran high school that we were near when we were on our vicar year, okay? So packed with, with all kinds of uh, uh, recipes. Uh, let's see, this one, uh, St. Paul's Evangelical Lutheran Church. Um, this one, I don't even know where this one came from. St. Paul's, yeah, thank you, yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm, try I'm trying to remember where, how we even got this one. Oh, St. Paul's on Alaska. Okay, on Alaska, Wisconsin. So uh, my wife's family's all from Wisconsin. So this one's from St. Paul's. Um, very famous. Shout out to St. Paul's if they're watching today. Your cookbook made it. Uh, and then maybe the one that is most precious to my wife, uh, this is from her childhood home called St. Mark's. Um, and you can see this one is very dog-eared and uh, lots of recipes that she uses in it, right? Now, I think when we have personalized cookbooks, recipes, um, it does something and connects it to something that's bigger than ourselves. Um, and not only is the food good, but I would say this, um, those recipes that you pull out of there, maybe they're favorite ones, they're also kind of trusted recipes, aren't they? If you're going to a family's house, if you're, if you're going to bring something, you kind of have your go-to dish. Uh, my wife's is cheesy potatoes. Um, not, yeah, it's very good. Uh, it's very, it's calorie con content as well. Um, but um, mostly, I think it's her favorite recipe because it's my kids' favorite recipe. So every holiday, they ask mom for cheesy potatoes. So much so uh, that one pan used to suffice, and then they would go through it all. So now she makes two pans right off the bat so that we have enough 
leftovers afterwards, right? So you might have a favorite recipe, you might have a favorite cookbook, and it's trusted, and it's something you like, and it connects you to other people, and maybe even back through history a little bit. Um, that, at its best, is what a cookbook, cookbook does. Sometimes, though, recipes and cookbooks um, are at their worst. So any of you have this uh, cookbook in your, in your kitchen? It's called Tales from a Forager's Kitchen. No? Okay. You're going to want to go home and check it after this. Okay. So Tales from a Forager's Kitchen uh, came out about six, seven years ago. Um, there was a, kind of an online star that had, had, had gained a following and, and with recipes and stuff like that. Um, and she finally produced her own cookbook. Um, and it did really, really well. People bought it like crazy until some of the reviews that started to come in seemed a little bit negative. Specifically, some of the reviews of some of the recipes in her cookbook came in and said, um, not only does this not taste super great, um, but some of the ingredients you're using are possibly dangerous. No, this is 100% true. The one that got the most popularity were chocolate-dipped morel mushrooms. So some of you are like, oh, morel mushrooms are, they're supposed to be really good and that, that kind of thing. Um, and morel mushrooms are really good, and especially if you cook them. But hers were raw and dipped in chocolate. And if you eat morels at a certain rate, they can also be poisonous. Yeah. So guess what they had to do with Tales from a Forager's Kitchen cookbook? They recalled it. Yeah. They actually recalled a cookbook. They said, if you've got it, so that's why I said check your pantry, if you've got it, some of these recipes quite possibly could be poisonous and dangerous, okay? So I don't know that I've ever heard of a cookbook getting recalled, but this is one, right? But we can understand why. If, if the recipe is dangerous to you and your living and your existence and doesn't taste very good, we can understand why it shouldn't be in a book at all. Today, we're starting a new sermon series where we want to ask of ourselves, um, what are the ingredients that make up a church? What does God ask of us? What does he want to go into that, that beautiful creation that he calls a congregation and a church here on earth? And, and, and ultimately, God wants those ingredients to work for our good rather than our detriment. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at different ingredients that go into making a church what it is. Today, our first one is going to be on that concept of connection. Um, have any of you ever seen this show on Netflix? It's called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Some of you have? Okay. It's a very, it's a very fascinating one. Uh, this is Samin Norat. Uh, she's a world-renowned cook, um, but basically the show goes around all of the world and she cooks up all kinds of incredibly tasty dishes. But here's kind of the neat thing about Samin is she said, if, even if you're not a cook, but if you can master salt, fat, acid, and heat, you can create remarkably good dishes. Now, does that sound a little bit simplistic? Maybe, right? But the truth is, if you get those four things right, it's going to taste pretty good. Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about what are the four things that allow a congregation to produce something that is, that is nourishing and beneficial and tastes pretty good. Uh, Samin said this about those four ingredients. 
Whether you've never picked up a knife or you're an accomplished chef, there are only four basic factors that determine how good your food will taste. Salt, which enhances flavor. Fat, which amplifies flavor and makes appealing textures possible. Acid, which brightens and balances. And heat, which ultimately determines the texture of the food. Okay? Um, the next four weeks, we're going to ask ourselves that. What are the parts that make up a congregation, right? Um, and ultimately, what is God producing in us uh, as a congregation here as well? So uh, today, we're going to look at that ingredient of connection. Uh, and you're welcome to follow along with me in your bulletin if you'd like. Uh, we've got three points today, and if you are studious, because everybody's back to school now, and you'd like to fill stuff in, we'll have a little bit of a fill-in-the-blank kind of as we go. Uh, but these are the three areas that we're going to touch on today as we talk about um, the blessing of connection within a, a Christian congregation. So, uh, But here's where we're going to start. And I think the first question is, uh, um, what are we built for? Um, how has God created us as human beings? Right from the beginning, we've been created for connection. So go back, book of Genesis, Adam and Eve. Adam was alone and God said it was not good. And so he created a helper suitable for him. So that Adam and Eve had someone. So every, every animal had someone else, but Adam was alone. And so right from the very beginning, we see connection. We see relationship that God had created in his world, right? Um, th this kind of reminds us of it, and you can even see all the animals that are there. The only, I, I'm a little suspect of this painting, um, which is a kind of a famous painting, but if you can see at Eve's feet, I'm not sure that, that, uh, that golden doodles were created at, in Genesis, because uh, there seems to be a small white poodle at her feet. But, uh, but the bigger story is, God absolutely has created us, created you for connection, right? If we fast forward kind of through the Old Testament, we see that over and over and over again. When God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a great nation, right? A, a people. When the Israelites are gathered together, when they wander in the desert, this is relationship, this is community, right? Even, in fact, even Jesus' own disciples, as he chooses those disciples, um, Jesus certainly could have done his ministry completely alone. Like, he had the power to do that. He didn't need other people to be able to carry out his ministry. And yet, what does he do? He gathers around him disciples, right? who would eventually go on to become leaders in the Christian church. So throughout the Bible, we see that God has built us for connection kind of over and over again. Now you go into the New Testament and you see um, how the early Christian actually lived their lives. And we get some kind of pretty telling uh, um, instructions and pictures of what early congregations looked like and what they felt was important. Writer to the book of Hebrews, verses 24 to 25 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good needs, good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the writer to the Hebrews said, let's not do, stop doing this. Let's continue showing up and continue encouraging because life is hard and it gets harder and harder. Okay, so that's the book of Hebrews. Book of Acts, history of the early Christian church says this, talking about believers, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So um, maybe some of you are laughing at the church cookbooks a little bit. Here's what I'm saying. This might be the origin of it, actually, right? What were they doing? Like, they were eating together in their homes. They were gathered around food. Uh, they were, they were um, arranging themselves in community for, to be mutually beneficial to one another, okay? One more. Now we're looking ahead. Book of Revelation. We're talking about um, heaven and eternity and a vision to the disciple John. John, at the end of his life, after he had seen most of his loved ones, his brothers and sisters in Christ, dead or gone, God gives him a vision of what heaven is going to look like. And take a look what heaven's going to look like. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, language, and people standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're wearing white robes and we're holding palm branches in their hands. And so what will eternity look like? Again, connection and community. So if you take from Genesis at the creation of our world to what heaven will look like, from start to finish, God has created us for connection and for community. Okay? Um, that's just the reality of what Scripture shares with us. And, and I think it underlies what we know personally as well. Now, what is true of the Bible, what is true of what God has told us, um, sociologists have kind of uh, slowly but are now getting on board and understanding how important connection and community is to you and I. Uh, in 2018, Starbucks uh, put out a memo uh, that was a little bit different than what they had ever done up to that so, how many of you have gone, physically gone into a Starbucks lately? A couple of you. How many of you have gone through the drive-thru of Starbucks or Ziggy's or... Okay. Um, here, here's what happened a little bit. If you remember kind of the rise of Starbucks, um, Starbucks' intent uh, was to become your third place. Okay, so we're talking, you know, 80s and 90s. It was in, their intent was to become your third place. So your first place is your home. Your second place is your workplace. Your third place, historically in America for a lot of years, was church. But that was being displaced. And so Starbucks, because they're wise and they want to sell us coffee, said, we're going to take that spot. We're going to become people's third place. Home, work, and physically at Starbucks. But in 2018... They issued a memo to all their employees that they were changing. They said they were recognizing the reality that people were no longer coming into the third place, that the drive-through was going to be almost exclusively how they were going to sell coffee. What were they recognizing? Well, I think what we recognize, the increased separation and isolation that every single one of us feels within our world. And this is before we were even talking about COVID, right? This is before we're talking about quarantine in our own homes, right? That isolation and that separation were already happening. Maybe you feel it, right? Maybe you've felt it. If you have, you're not alone. Uh, study after study um, has shown that, that overwhelmingly one of the biggest issues that we have in our lives that we express um, is loneliness, it's isolation, absence of community. 
Now, here's one of the more fascinating things. They'll do studies of this, of rates of loneliness and isolation within us and within generations, right? So from old to young. Um, And maybe our initial thought is, well, um, who would have the highest rates of loneliness? Maybe we would be thinking maybe the elderly, right? Uh, If they've lost a spouse, if if family and kids aren't around, those kind of things. But actually, what's fascinating is the highest rates of isolation, loneliness, and disconnect and disconnection are from age 30 and younger, right? Higher rates of loneliness and isolation from those that are younger than from those that are older, right? Because the communities that held us together have simply separated. You add to that, those that report the highest rates of loneliness and isolation also are the ones that are the most connected digitally online. And do you understand the connection a little bit? We feel as though we're connected to the world that's happening around us, but not to living, breathing, actual people. And the more that we are connected to a digital world, the less we tend to be connected to a physical world around us. What comes from it? Isolation, right? Okay, so God built us for community. I think in our world and even in our own lives, we understand that community is important. Um, but in May of this summer, a few months ago, uh, there was kind of a startling report from our new Surgeon General. He said this about the necessity of connection and community. So General Dr. Vivek Murthy says this, Our epidemic of loneliness and isolation has been an underappreciated public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health. Our relationships are a source of healing and well-being hiding in plain sight, one that, one that can help us live healthier, more fulfilled, and more productive lives. Given the, significance, the significant health consequences of loneliness and isolation, we must prioritize building social connection. And I want to focus on the very last statement that he makes there. God has built us for connection and for community, but in general, our world kind of fights against it. And so what did Vivek hit on? Guess what? We have to work at it. You have to build it. You've sometimes maybe heard me make this statement. Uh, community isn't so much discovered or found, it's built. Right? Vivek knows the very same thing. Right? And so um, that is probably, I think, our biggest, most important point as we start out. Right? Not only has God built you for community and relationships, but guess what? We actually have to put time into it and you have to put yourself into it, okay? So that kind of gives us our first point there, um, that we are built for community and that community is built, okay? Okay, let's continue on in our text here. Uh, Let's see, so we're going to go with verses uh, 4 through 7. The Apostle Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if God has um, built us for community and we have to actually build community, then the question we get to ask of ourselves is, 
upon what do we actually build community in a Christian congregation? Well, the Apostle Paul gives it to us. Um, highlight these two words. He says, peace will be there and it's going to be transcendent, okay? Um, so a peace that transcends. And I think sometimes when we think about that word um, transcendent, maybe this is the image that comes to mind, right? Uh, our minds are thinking of things that are bigger than the here and now, the earthly, the right and here, right? But we're thinking beyond that and in fact into eternity. So these are what we call transcendent truths. And, and there are moments when we ask of ourselves, those questions, right? Why are we here? Where are we going? What answers do we have for eternity and beyond? But I think once in a while, maybe that's our picture of what transcendent truth is. Now, uh, you might enjoy the mountains. I enjoy the mountains. Um, and maybe that's exactly where you think you find your transcendent truth, right? Um, and you're thinking in your mind, okay, pastor, I, I kind of get that we're built for community, but I kind of like this a little bit more. <laughs> right? And, and if I really need to ponder on something and find something really, really deep, I've got I've to leave. I've got to go by myself and I'll find it somewhere out there, right? And, and I think maybe at times that's our, our temptation as believers, that we'll find that transcendent truth, answers to those questions somewhere out there, right? But God's got a different picture, and in fact, Paul in Philippians gives us a different picture of it. Um, transcendent truth, and specifically that transcendent truth of Jesus as our Lord and Savior and sins forgiven, um, isn't so much found out in isolation in the mountains, in the Rocky Mountains alone. Now certainly you can meditate on God, you can see the wonders of His, His glory and His majesty and His wisdom and all those things out there, but this is probably a better picture of where we find transcendent truth in Jesus, and Jesus as our Lord and Savior, in word and with one another. Do you find that kind of interesting? God doesn't ask you to go meditate in the middle of nowhere to try to grasp something that is deeper and broader and bigger than yourself. You want to know what he actually does? He brings you together with other people. Right? People that don't look quite like you, talk quite like you, um, aren't in the same um, social position as you, uh, a disparate, disparate group of people that come together and the unifying thing that we come together around is God's word and his revelation of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so that's the very first thing. Any congregation, um, any ingredient that goes into creating a congregation must be based on Christ and his forgiveness. He is what draws us together. He is what holds us together and specifically that our sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven through no work of our own. Not because uh, of the things we've done, the great church we've created or the terrible church we've created, but because of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is the binding ingredient in any Christian and any Christian congregation. That is the transcendent truth that Paul says can and does bring peace to a group and to a congregation, right? Okay. Built for community, and community is built. But our second point, we find transcendent truth, right? In God's word and among God's people. Okay? But Paul goes on. He finishes the book of Philippians like this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, 
If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Okay. This is Paul's final words, his parting words to the Christian church in the city of Philippi. Okay. And um, someone once kind of described the book of Philippians as uh, a book that where, where Paul um, shares the joy that we have, specifically in Christ. He starts that out in the very first chapter, and this is how he ends it. These are his parting words to that Christian congregation, that congregation that was, was not perfect. They were not without fault, and yet that was how he sent them out. He said, this, this is what I hope for you. This is what I pray that you have. Right? And I don't think any of us would disagree with the list that he had given us. But I think here's the problem. Within any given congregation, within any given family, in fact, within any given community, we understand how easy it is for us to work against community and building each other up and actually for our own selfish desires. And that happens at every church, every family, and every community. And, and the, the more self, selfish thinking we are, and in fact, we think about uh, um, the actions and the reactions that we have for one another, on some level, sin at its core always works against community and the peace and transcendence that God has for us. Right? As we react in anger to one another, it separates. If we use words of gossip, right, backstabbing, things whispered in the dark or behind people's back, it tears apart community. Right? Uh, if we refuse to forgive and hold grudges, sometimes for years or even a lifetime, it tears apart community. It tears apart family, right? Uh, if, if we not just have opinions that we hold to, but insist our opinions are right versus someone else's, it creates siloing and division. We think we can go through the list of what God has for us on the pages of Scripture, and almost every one of those sins actively seeks to and tears apart unity, peace, and community. And if you don't know it from within a congregation, and all of you do, you know it from within families, and you know it from your neighborhoods, and you know it from your towns, and you know it in our politics, and you see it in the world around us. You do not have to look very far to find how we are, are incredibly inclined to isolate, to divide, and willing to tear apart community rather than build it up. I think we see that in our world, right? But what does Paul ask of the Christians in Philippi and what does he ask of us here in Firestone this morning? Let me highlight those words that Paul gave us. These things, right? If you want to be a part of a congregation that has ingredients like this, then you put them in. If you want to be a part of a family who is characterized by things like this, then you put those ingredients in. I, it's probably overly simplistic to say that the ingredients we pour into our bowl, whether it's a church, a family, a community, those are the things that we will reap. 
Okay? And what does Paul encourage us to do? What does he encourage us to season our relationships, our communities, and our families with? We'll just take a look at them. Right? Truth, nobility, what is right, what is admirable, excellent, all these things. And Paul says, not only that, not only throw them all into the mixing bowl, but he says, then put it into practice. If there are things that are missing, if there are admirable things that are missing from your church, from your family, or from your community, guess what you have the power to do? Be those things. Bring those things to the communities in which you live and which you are building. Brings us to our last point. Ingredients matter. The things we sprinkle in, the things we bring with us matter. Paul knew that with the Philippians, and I think we know that as well, right? Uh, Whatever communities that we exist in, the things we bring to the table matter. Started out with fat, salt, heat, and acid, right? And maybe some of you are not cooks, and you're thinking, okay, if your name is uh, Samin Nosrat, you can create incredible dishes. And and maybe even at the beginning, you thought this sounds a little too uh, hoity-toity for you, right? A little high class, like... Uh, um, cuisine and things like that. Um, One of her best examples actually from her cookbook of the proper amounts of of heat, fat, salt, and acid is this. It looks remarkably tasty, doesn't it? (laughs) Right? When we talk basics of what it means to be a part of a congregation or to be a Christian, the, the, the recipe and the meal that is produced might be varied, but it also can be remarkably simple, remarkably delicious, and remarkably comforting, right? May the Lord bless us as we build, as we do that as a congregation, as we remember our connection to our God above and therefore seek to connect with other people around us. I don't know what God's creating in us. I don't know what God's creating in you and your families and the communities and places that you live and you exist. But I do know this. Knowing your Lord and Savior above, you are able to bring something remarkably unique and pleasant and beautiful to all of those organizations and all of those places. You're able to bring Jesus Christ, the forgiveness you have, and the forgiveness you know. May the Lord bless us as we do that. Amen.